0: Now, if you would, open your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 1, 16, and 17. And I I believe this morning that God has somewhat of a sense of humor. You know, this entire month, uh, we were going to have this incredible push to talk about generosity. And uh, we were going to encourage our church family, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later in the service today, to begin making steps to grow in your generosity. And what's incredible is, is that, you know, while these messages have been planned out for several months, The message today that we're going to look at in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 is this, is how do we, as generous people, make sure that we take care of those who are vulnerable? And so this morning, we want you to consider what are the next steps for you personally into a lifestyle of greater generosity. In fact, last week, we mentioned that generosity at its core is a lifestyle. In fact, generosity isn't so much about finances, but it is about the disposition of your heart. It's about whether or not you're willing to live out the gospel in your life to the degree where you're willing to say that as you have been unto me, so I will be unto others and I will open my hands of all that I have and leverage it for the sake of the kingdom and for the good of others and for the glory of God. And so this morning we want to understand that generosity results in practically sharing with others what we've been given for the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. Just this week, we had a lady in our church who put on Facebook, if there's any parents out there that can't feed their kids or or can't provide for their kids during this time, please let me know, and we will make sure that your child has a meal uh, that they can uh, eat and not go without during the season. Friends, that's the kind of generosity that God is looking for from those who claim to follow Him as their Savior. Now, we looked at it this morning, and kind of the big idea of this entire series is this. Christ's love is all about others greater than me. It's all about others greater than me. And the reality is, is, this morning that we have a human tendency to think about what is best for me, what is good for me, what will benefit me, but those who follow Christ and those whose hearts have been in, uh, impacted, if you will, or gripped by the gospel, the reality is, is that our hearts will be transformed by the gospel, and so our whole life disposition will be defined by this phrase, Christ's love is all about others greater than me. So today, we want to discuss God's plan for generosity. And you might jot this down this morning, because generosity is not what he wants from us. Generosity is not what he wants from us, but what he wants for us. It's what he wants for us. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to think about what can we get the most out of life, rather than what can we give back into the lives of others. And I'm going to tell you, if you truly want to live out your purpose, if you truly want to live out a life of joy and and a life of significance and one that transcends everything that this world has to offer, your life will be lived out in a generous way. It'll be poured out as an overflow to others. And so today's message, I believe, will help move us forward as we think about how to grow in our generosity and how we help those who are vulnerable. Now, there's a small book at the beginning of the Bible, called Ruth. I think most of us have found it by now. But in Ruth chapter 1, let's look at two verses, verses 16, verse 17. The Bible says, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more also of anything but death. Parts me from you. And when no- When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. Now, the Book of Ruth is an incredible story about how one woman decided to live out a life of generosity. And we're going to learn today how it impacted an entire generation and ultimately the entire race of humanity. It starts with a lady by the name of Naomi, who we read about in the first three verses that we read this morning. She was a woman married to a man with a strange name. His name was Elimelech. And then she had two sons. The two sons that she gave birth to were Malon and Kilion. They too had strange names. It was kind of a thing back then. It was almost like, uh, let's have a contest to see who could give our child the weirdest name, right? So You got Elimelech, you got Malon, Kilion, and you got the, the, the wife of Elimelech, Naomi. During this time, there was a famine in the land and they moved to a foreign country. They went to where the food was uh, so that they could feed their family, ultimately so that they could live. It wasn't like it is in our days where we could just roll up to a McDonald's or to a Chipotle or to, you know, whatever your favorite restaurant is. If there was no food in the land, you had to find something in order to live. And that is exactly what Naomi, her husband, and her two sons did. While they were there in this foreign country, their sons married two local women who were not uh, Jewish descent. They were foreigners. And so over the course of 10 years, Naomi loses all the men in her life. Elimelech dies. Kilion dies. Mahon dies. And now we find that she is vulnerable. She, there's no one to care for her. There's no gov- government programs to help, no nonprofits to assist. She's on her own in a foreign country, away from her family and friends, and she has nothing to her name. So Naomi just decides, hey, I'm going to go back to my homeland, and she cuts the daughters in laws loose. She says to them both, hey, listen, I'm going home, I'm going back uh, to my city, my community where I can be taken care of, and I want to cut you loose so that you can remarry so that you can find security. Because as widows in that day and age, they were very vulnerable and couldn't provide for themselves. The thing is, one of the girls, her name was Ruth. It's the book of the Bible that we're reading from today. Ruth loves Naomi. And she refuses to go, as you see in this passage of Scripture. I mean, if you look in verse 17, she goes, where you die, I'm going to die. Where you go, I'm going to go. And so Ruth loves Naomi. She refuses to go. And it's a very touching scene with a lot of crying, hugging, and clinging. What it is, and you may jot this down, it's just pure devotion. It's just pure devotion to this woman who is incredibly vulnerable. But now you have this vulnerable widow looking out for her vulnerable elderly widowed mother-in-law. Now, who would do that, right? Amen? Who would want to roll with their mother-in-law, right? And here she is, like, I'm, I'm rolling with you. I'm with you to the end. And here's the incredible thing about this. Because sometimes we think, man, I'm not going to give until I have enough to give. Several years ago, there was a, a man that attended our church, and he one time told me, he goes, you know, man, once I get to this place financially, I'm going to start giving. Once I get to this place financially, I'm going to start serving, and I'm going to start doing more for God. And he was burning it, burning it at both ends. And at 50 years old, God took his life, and he never got to fulfill that promise. Most of us this morning, we want to wait until we have more, but the reality is is God's not going to trust us with more until we steward well what we already have given to us by the very hand of a sovereign God. Ruth had nothing. The only thing that she had to give was pure, loving devotion. Ruth's only resources were her love and her devotion to her mother-in-law. So here's what happened. They head back to Naomi's hometown to figure things out. And Ruth decides to go and see if she can get some food. And there's this principle of gleaning. And gleaning is when farmers would let the vulnerable people in the community. It might be uh, the poor. It might be widows. It might be orphans. And, and what they would do is they would come behind the harvesters in the field, and they would, they would take whatever grain was left on the ground pass passed through. That alone was an act of generosity on the part of those who had something to give. This is a biblical principle of giving extravagantly out of their abundance. And this is what it looks like to bless others when God has blessed us so richly. And Ruth finds a field and she starts picking the leftover grain. But the field that she chooses is the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz notices Ruth. He doesn't just notice Ruth, but he notices that Ruth's very attractive. In fact, not only is she attractive, but she has an incredible story. He's impressed with her story. He can't believe that this woman from a foreign land would come and lay down her life, leverage what she had, which wasn't much, if anything, so that she could provide for her elderly, vulnerable mother-in-law. And friends, that was attractive to him. He even tells his harvesters, hey, I'm checking out Ruth a little bit. Can you leave a little extra grain for her so that she can have enough? Do you see what happens here? And I think this is an important principle that you might want to jot down this morning. Generosity inspires generosity. When you see someone else being generous, it ought to motivate you to be generous. It ought to cause you to say, hey, if they can do that with the little that they have, then I can do what I need to do with what God has given to me and blessed me with. So generosity inspires generosity. But here's the crazy thing. In the course of the story, and you can go and read the entire book of Ruth later today, since we're not going to Netflix binge watch, right? Not an in there, but okay. After you get done with your shows, read the rest of Ruth. Boaz decides to take care of her. He feeds her. He makes sure she's safe, and he makes sure that she ha- has access to plenty of grain. And over, Bo- over time, Boaz continues to take notice of her. She's devoted, she's compassionate, she's a hard-working woman, lots of common sense, and of course he finds her attractive. It's almost like Boaz just wins the lottery. He got the pick six, you know? And so over time, he decides to take a few steps important in that culture, and he ends up marrying her. Are you with me? You guys with me? Say amen. All right, now, Boaz takes these steps. We know generosity inspires generosity Ruth didn't have a lot she had done everything that she could with what she'd been given and that was her her love her devotion and her work ethic she gave that so that she could take care of the vulnerable Boaz was a very wealthy man and so he gave out of his abundance and so that 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 generosity inspired more generosity and listen to what happens Because Naomi decided to live a life of generosity with the little that she had and Boaz decided to live a life of generosity with the abundance that he had, listen to what happens. An elderly widow, Naomi, she finds security. Two wonderful people, Ruth and Boaz, they end up getting married. Not only do they get married, but they end up having a son. And they name that son Obed, who in turn has a son named Jesse, who in turn has a son named david he then becomes the most famous king in the history of the jewish nation and so because this woman decided to live out a life of generosity with the little that he had and he decided to live out a life of generosity with the abundance that he had a king was born and a nation was impacted but not only that there was another famous descendant that came from the lineage of david And his name was Jesus. Ruth and Boaz were ancestors of Jesus. And so all the way back in the Old Testament, in this little story with this no-name, insignificant woman who came from the wrong side of the tracks, who was a foreigner in the land, God used her to serve the vulnerable. And it ended up changing the entire course of humanity. The story is amazing. I don't know about you, but it's amazing. Because you see how God uses one with little and another with a lot, and then he uses them to bless others around them. And I don't know about you, but I think it would be cool to be a part of something like that. And so here's a couple of thoughts, and then we're out. A couple of thoughts. Number one, God uses our generosity to do unexpected things. I want you to know this morning that God wants to use your generosity. And whatever way that God impresses on your heart to be generous God will use that generosity in unexpected ways to do unexpected things. Ruth had no resources to give Naomi, and we tend to think that generosity is all about money. And yet for Ruth, generosity was her devotion. It was her time, and it was her labor. I think sometimes for some Christians, we think, oh, great, no church this week. No church next week. Okay, here's an out for me. And really what the church needs to do is rise up and say, how can I take care of my church family? How can we advance the kingdom of God in these uncertain times? How can we push back lostness? How can we show the love of Christ and the power of the gospel? Not how can we bail when things get hard. And that's exactly what Ruth did with her life. All Ruth had was her commitment to help and her willingness to share. She put herself out there so that her mother-in-law could be taken care of. It's amazing when you realize that God can use whatever resources you currently have to touch and bless the lives of others. Because that's the plan, and that's the heart of God. So Boaz had wealth to share. There's no doubt about that. Some of you that are sitting in this auditorium today, some of you online today, you have an abundance. You have more than you probably need. And so I want to say to you this morning, like Boaz, you may have wealth to share. And like Boaz, it may be time to put your faith into action through your resources. Boaz did that through the harvest of his land the wealth that he accumulated, the workers at his disposal. In short, his business as well as his willingness for others. God wants you to leverage your wealth to serve the vulnerable. Listen, like Boaz, this will invite God's favor and God's blessing into your life. And who doesn't want a little bit of God's blessing in their life? Who doesn't want to experience the the favor of God? Two different people who generously shared what they had to help the vulnerable, and God listened. God did far more than they could have ever imagined possible simply because they decided to leverage their life as a life of generosity. Simple decisions to care for someone more vulnerable. uh, Ruth decided to care for Naomi. Boaz Boaz decided to care for Ruth. This led to the greatest king of Israel and the savior of humanity. You just don't know. You have no idea how God will impact others through your compassion. We have to understand, folks, listen to me this morning. We must understand that love makes a difference. Christians sometimes are known for the wrong things. But this morning, as a church and as the people of God, I hope that we would fulfill our calling to be known as a people who genuinely love those who are far from God and those who are forgotten and those who are vulnerable. We may never see how far our generosity reaches and touches the lives of others, Maybe one day God will allow us to see it all on the other side of eternity, and whether he allows us to see it or not, God does unexpected things that furthers the kingdom and blesses the lives of others around us. So number one, God uses our generosity to do unexpected things. Number two, generous people receive unexpected favor, uh, unexpected blessings. Not only does God use what we do in order to impact and touch the lives of others, but then God just gives us an extra blessing. God just decides to show favor on us in unexpected ways. Unexpected because Ruth didn't expect her generosity and loving spirit would invite all the good things that would happen to her just by loving her mother-in-law. She had no idea that she was going to meet Moaz. She had no idea that they were going to get married. She had no idea that they were going to have a son, and that son would have another son named Jesse and another son named David, and that she would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. No, she just served. And could you imagine that this is now written down in the history of the Word of God simply because she was willing to go and serve her vulnerable mother-in-law and pick up grains so that she'd have enough to eat. Ruth loved her mother-in-law. She wanted to serve her well. There's a sense of commitment and responsibility that she took upon herself to love and care for this woman who was now in need of a desperate way. And most of the time, as Americans, you know what we say? It's not my problem. They probably got into that situation on their own. Maybe they have other family to help them out. There's got to be someone else that can do this. We have got to move beyond the reality of saying that this is not my fault and therefore it's not my responsibility. As Christians, we have to step into those spaces and with open hands live out lives of generosity that truly makes a difference in the lives of those who need help. Can I get an amen this morning? I said this quote last week. I want to repeat it again today. There are going to be a lot of things in this world that you're going to find that are not your fault, but they are your responsibility. We've got to stop rationalizing. We've got to stop blame shifting. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop saying that I don't have enough when the reality is is that God has blessed us with exactly what we need in order to serve those around us. Her generosity led to an overflow of blessing and favor in her life. She gave and did what she could with what she had, and God blessed her immeasurably. And this is how it works with God, and this is what the Scriptures teach us. In Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, the Bible says one gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he gives, or what he should give, and only suffers one. And whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will be watered. Second Corinthians nine six says the point is this that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully and friends this is exactly what happened to Ruth and Boaz she didn't have a lot to give but she sacrificed what was likely some of the best years of her life to serve her mother in law Are you with me the best years of her life she sacrificed to serve her mother in law she didn't know how it was gonna uh, what the outcome was gonna be she provided for need Boaz gave out of the abundance of a, a, Out of the abundance and received a wife, a family, and listen, he received a legacy, and now is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Boaz is a picture of the very life of what Jesus did for us? He stepped into the life of a foreigner that was in need and in a desperate situation and was without hope, and he stepped into that situation. And do you realize that you and I, we were impoverished, we were foreigners. And Jesus Christ invited us into the family of God and now we're the brothers and sisters to the king? So Jesus made it possible for us to become family when he came to Calvary and he paid for our sins on the cross. You and I were separated from God and he willingly and sacrificially laid down his life so that you and I both could be reconciled to God and so that we could be forgiven of our sin. We were vulnerable and he gave his life that we might have life. And listen, when we imitate the life of Christ and, 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 and we're imitating the one who redeemed us, and we're inviting his favor on our life in unexpected ways. So many stories could be told this morning of those who willingly gave generously, and God blessed them in return for their obedience. And, and yet it shouldn't surprise us that those who have the most joy and purpose in life, those who have the most joy, those who have the most purpose, are those who care for the needs of others. Those who live open-handedly and are willing to be generous, those who are vulnerable. Vulnerable. Now, here's the last thought. Generous people genuinely care for the vulnerable. They genuinely care for the vulnerable. Guys, I want to tell you today, if we're going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, and if we're going to be the kind of people, the kind of followers of Christ that God has called us to be, we, we genuinely, we authentically have to care for the vulnerable. You know, all throughout the Bible and even in our church, we have examples of how God's love moves people to generosity to invest their lives in helping others. I think of our food pantry team that came out yesterday in the midst of the scare. And they work countless hours on Thursdays and Saturdays for those uh, uh, in need in our community with, with, with food assistant needs. Daily groceries and daily food. You realize you're going to go home and eat a meal today. You're going to get bored watching Netflix and you're going to eat some ice cream and probably some cookies and put some sprinkles on. Like you, you probably don't even think about where your next meal is. But there are families in our community that do. And so we have a food pantry team that ministers that we have a clothing closet team that provides clothing for those who have a need we have bins and bins and bins and bins and bins of clothes that have been donated and not junk like people aren't giving their junk they're giving good stuff so that people can have clothing so they can cover their kids and their families we have a new thing and we were going to do an interview today but because of the situation we're not going to have time and uh, it just didn't fit into the schedule today we have an impact team it's a new ministry A group of ladies in our church decided that it wasn't okay that there's homeless children in our community. Yes, I keep saying this. There are homeless kids that live in Piatone. There are homeless kids. We have a representative today here, uh, one of our um, uh, regular attenders, uh, Nestle, and her husband, Grant, are here today, and she's nodding her head with me. There are kids in this community that need a home. So a couple ladies in our church said, it's not okay. There are kids in our community that don't have everyday basic needs like toothpaste and toothbrushes and deodorant, Uh, they don't have socks, they don't have underwear, they don't have the basic needs, and those aren't things that we normally even think about on a daily basis. We have students who are serving, feeding our starving children, we have students that are leading and and starting FCA, and I can't wait to see what becomes of that. We have missionaries and church planters that we support all over North America and all over this globe who... Uproot their families and they move to new cities and they plant gospel-centered churches, knowing few people, and they believe that this is God's calling on their life. We have safe families. I mentioned Nestle today. Several families in our church volunteer to open their homes, and not everyone's cool with just having some random kids stay in their home. I I understand that we do that, and sometimes it's crazy, man. It's crazy. These kids come in with a lot of trauma and a lot of baggage and a lot of hurt, and it can be hard on a family. And I'm not saying for one second that I would not do this again because we continue to have like a, a revolving door of kids come through our home. And as hard as it is, it's so rewarding to see these kids have a safe place to put their head on a pillow at night rather than an abusive situation or a homeless situation. So sometimes the things that are hard and the things that are difficult and the things that are uncertain are most likely the most rewarding things, and Christians ought to be on the forefront of that, taking the risk to making sure that those who are vulnerable have what they need. You may not want to have a kid in your home, but we've had people in our group provide meals. We've had people buy car seats and high chairs and provide clothes. I mean, I could give you illustration after illustration where our church is coming together to provide respite care for children who need a safe place. I just want to encourage you that we as a church are committed to reaching out and ministering to those who may not offer anything of value to our church and there may not be any return on investment but we are going to love the daylights out of those who need help and need to be served. And the goal is this is that one day they would ask why are you being so generous? Why are you loving us this way? It seems crazy that you would be this generous, that you would be this giving. And we could say, well, let me tell you about a friend, and his name is Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, he became vulnerable, and he was born as a child. And he committed his life and lived his life so that you and I wouldn't have to live a perfect life, because in reality, we couldn't anyways. And then, at about 30-some years of age, he decided of his own choice to give his life so that you and I could know God and so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could have a home in heaven. So the reason that we're generous and the reason that we want to love and the reason that we want to take risks and the reason that we want to step into these spaces is because Jesus stepped into that space for us so that we could know God forever and we want you to know him too. And this is why, Jackson Creek, your generosity is so important. It's your generosity that advances the kingdom and the mission of God here at Jackson Creek. The thing is, is the church isn't after your money. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so generosity isn't about what God wants uh, from you. It's what God wants for you. And in a few weeks, we're going to share some more testimonies of those who have made the commitment to be generosity and how their entire spiritual life turned, was turned upside down and became this dynamic life of faith simply because they decided to take the step and start living a life of generosity. And for those of you that are here today and those of you that are watching online on April 4th, when we come back together, we're going to have a day of celebration. We're going to do a ministry celebration, and we're going to take a commitment as a church to take the next steps of generosity. There are some people in our church that they come every week and they um, haven't yet committed to a life of generosity. They don't give financially back to God what God has given to them. And so we're going to ask you to pray over the next several weeks, hey, where can I grow, and how much can I give percentage-wise back to God into generosity? We're not asking you to jump into 10%. Most people can't do that, but could you get to 1, 2, 3, maybe even 4%? Hey, I'm just going to start small, and I'm going to start giving, and I'm going to start seeing what God does, and we're going to have a card for you to fill out. For others, you may already be giving a little, but you can say, hey, I think it's time for me to jump to 5%. We're going to ask you to commit to that. For others, you're already at 5% or more, and we're going to ask you to give 10. And then for those that are giving 10, we're going to ask you to increase your percentage to 11, 12, or whatever God lays on your heart. And what we're going to ask you to do is this. For 90 days, we want you to give that amount that you commit to God for the next 90 days. And we're going to ask you to sit back and watch God bless you, watch God provide for you, watch God use your life, and watch God um, use... The, the, the generosity in your life to impact the lives of others. We're so committed to this. After 90 days, if God doesn't bless you and you go without, we'll give it all back to you. We'll give you every single dime that you gave back. If you said, hey, God didn't bless me, God didn't provide for me, this was a big hoax, we're so confident that God will do that, that we're committed to that. So, if generosity to the vulnerable world is changing, how is God leading you to become more generous? I want to ask you today, what steps can you take financially? What what steps can you take with your devotion? What steps can you take with your commitment? What opportunities are you seeing right now in your life? And even in this season of uncertainty, what steps can you take in terms of generosity in your life so that others can know and be introduced to Jesus Christ?